Blue Ridge is a college prep school. Every single one of our graduates applies to college, but without the right guidance and information, this can be a confusing, complicated, and stressful process for students and their parents. Fortunately, we have an outstanding college counseling program and college counselor here. On today's show, I'm joined by our college counselor, Mrs. Amber Wilkins, for a conversation about our college counseling program, the college application process, and what students at all grade levels and their parents should be thinking about and doing as they prepare to apply and attend college. One of the things that makes our college counseling program unique is that it's set up to impact all of our students, regardless of their grade level. Even in ninth grade, students begin learning about what possibilities exist for them beyond high school. We'll talk about that, the college admissions scandal, standardized tests, and much more. This is episode three of the Inside Blue Ridge School podcast. I'm your host, Pete Bonds. Thank you for listening. All right, my guest today is Amber Wilkins, our college counselor at Blue Ridge School. Amber, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Pete. I'm excited to chat with everybody. Our show today is all about college counseling and our college counseling program at Blue Ridge. Obviously, we're a college prep school, so there's a lot of focus mm-hmm. on the college process. Um, so it makes sense to have our college counselor on the show. Um, I wanted to start by just asking you about sort of your main responsibilities mm-hmm. as college counselor. I imagine it changes a lot throughout the year, so I thought I'd ask you what's going on right now in college counseling. We're uh, at the end of December. Yeah. Um, seems like maybe some college acceptances are starting to come in. Yeah, so it does ebb and flow um, throughout the year. Right now, it's the probably the busiest time of year for me, especially here at Blue Ridge with most of our seniors really focusing their applications in the regular decision application cycle. So January 1st is probably the first major regular decision deadline. And so if you think about it, the way our schedule works is it doesn't take that into account. We, you know, Mm -hmm. end and we go away for two weeks and then they have their big deadline while they're home. So they've done all of this prep work up until this point and they go home for two weeks. Then they have to submit, Mm -hmm. you know, for one of the biggest college decisions and college application processes, um, January 1st. And so right now it's mostly trying to get them ready to be prepared to do that. So they don't get panicked over break and they're at home and they're like, mom, I needed to do this or I forgot to do this. And then I'm, you know, only available via email or, you know, um, it's not like they can just run into the office and come say, can you look at this for me? So, you know, the past couple of weeks have been extremely busy just trying to make sure that they're ready to go. They're ready to either press the submit button before they leave or write a few days after. So for the seniors, that's kind of where I am right now. Very Um, good. At what point are you sort of done with them? mm -hmm. And do you turn your attention to the juniors and the start of their college process? So there's a little overlap. um, And I kind of like that a little bit because I don't want the juniors to feel like they're kind of out floating. Um, They're worried about certain processes. Um, They've taken the PSAT in October. They've gotten those scores back. So I really have a little bit of overlap. So I started meeting with the juniors in November. um, And so we've been doing those um, kind of over top of what I'm doing with the seniors. So the junior meetings are mostly a chance for me to connect with them, get to know them a little bit, um, know their strengths, their weaknesses, talk with them about sort of what the college process will look like, um, sort of what they're going to be doing over the next few months. Um, and so that started now, you know, for the juniors. Um, and, and again, like I said, um, there's a little bit of overlap, but I do like that. And I do appreciate that. Um, One of the things that I think is, is really a strength of our college counseling program and of our school is that Um, It's a program that impacts students no matter where they are Mm -hmm. here. So you are working, you know, obviously you work most closely with 12th graders, Mm -hmm. especially in the fall. Absolutely. Um, but you work with 11th graders. But unlike a lot of schools, you also are working with 9th and 10th graders. And we have a college 
um, counseling curriculum almost mm -hmm. for Absolutely. every grade level. So um, tell me a little bit about what that curriculum looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, what are ninth graders doing mm -hmm. in relation to college, college counseling? What mm -hmm. kind of work do you do with ninth graders and 10th graders? And that's something that's just recently developed, I think, for me, um, as I kind of grow into this role and I see the needs of our students and sort of where either they're struggling or they need some more emphasis and some more information on. So it's been something that I've, you know, started to try and develop a little bit. And I feel like I've gotten a good footing this year. Um, so, for example, our ninth graders in uh, late October, early November, they did an escape room. Um, so basically we turned the entire learning center into a kind of like a college-themed escape room where they basically had to crack different codes um, and learn different uh, words and phrases about the college application process, like what a major was, what a minor was, um, sort of what um, SAT, ACT um, sort of words and, and testing um, were about, and they had to crack the co code to get out of the room. And it was just a fun way, I think, for the ninth graders to not necessarily be stressed about the college process, but for them to also know what to expect and what the words um, that exist in the process. So just a way for them to kind of dive in, but not dive too far in. Um, so I don't great, want them to stress, you know. Yeah, there's so much to know. It is. It and is. it seems like if they don't start paying attention to it until 11th grade, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, yeah. maybe that's a missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I struggled with, like when I'm working with seniors and they talk to me and they say, Miss Wilkins, I wish I would have done this or known this. A lot of it takes place in that ninth and 10th grade year where they say, I wish I would have done this more or learned about this more or known how important this was. And so I would hate for them to get to that 11th grade year and have that conversation like I wish I could have or I wish I would have. Mm -hmm. I'd rather start early, um, but not put too much pressure because I think there's a fine line between us pressuring our students mm -hmm. to really you know, focus on the college process and, and to get stressed out because I think that that creates an unhealthy culture. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there's a way for you to do it in a positive way so they know what's to come without, like I said, being stressed about it. Sure. Um, and I was, I was trying to find, and I, I think it's still something that we learn and we grow with, you know, how do we do that, providing the information, but giving them the ability to, to use that in a positive way. Um, and so it's something that I think we're going to continue to do. Um, and how about 10th graders? They were working on yes, some career. Yeah. And so one of the things, some of the feedback I got in previous years from parents is sort of like, I would love for my son to have an idea of sort of what he might want to do after, you know, Blue Ridge. Um, so what he might want to major in or study or what sort of career path he might want to be on. And I, you know, I was really kind of um, leery about saying, okay, take a career assessment because I don't want students to feel like, oh, this is my only option. I want them to have um, a variety of different options and ways they could get to that path and also taking into account things they might not know about themselves or um, things that they might learn down the lines. And so I was like, okay, so maybe we can find a career assessment that talks about strengths uh, mm -hmm. versus specific careers and ways that their strengths can be applied in different career um, opportunities. And so that's what we focus on in the 10th grade, 10th grade level. So they took kind of a strengths test with the career overlap. Um, so they got like three or four different strengths along with different career opportunities that fit within those categories. And then they utilize different resources to figure out what sort of, um, you know, schooling they would need to, to have a career in that field, what sort of resources they would have sort of available to them. So they did a lot of work with that. And what sort of feedback did you get on that? Did they I enjoy think it, it? They did. And they were funny about it because some of them, I asked the question at the end of it, you know, who got a career that, um, you know, they thought they would have gotten. So like they had an idea. So, you know, for example, one of the students said, oh, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer and mm -hmm. I actually got a lawyer, you know, so 
that worked out positively for them. But then I had another student who said, you know, I've always thought I wanted to, you know, work in the outdoors, but actually it says that I'm a good communicator. Um, so that was really interesting, I think, just hearing them to say, you know, I got this, but then I actually learned about a new career. Or my friend, you know, who was sitting next to me had a career that they sort of got checked off for um, that I actually found interesting. So I learned a little bit more about that. So it's just more about exploration, I sure. think. And then by 11th grade, I guess they're getting into more of the traditional yeah. college counseling stuff, mm -hmm. doing research on actual schools. Yeah, so doing research on schools, learning what a safety target reach school is, you know, sort of how they can utilize different resources, either in, in book form or online form to really, you know, research which schools fit their academic profile. So I gave them, you know, sample academic profiles of students. I really didn't want them to stress too much about them, about their academic profile as much as somebody else's academic profile and use, using the resources to see you know, sort of what schools might fit for them. So I gave them, you know, student A might want, you know, um, a, a school that, you know, uh, you know, is good at business or biology or something like that, and mm -hmm. they have a 3.0 GPA and their test scores fall in this range, you know, find a couple of appropriate schools for that particular student so they know how to do it for themselves um, down You mentioned the um, safety schools, target schools, and reach schools. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that, those are terms we hear mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. a lot. How would you define those? Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. I mean, we hear about a safety school. What yeah. does that actually mean? Yeah, so I think a safety school it would be a school that is a shoe in so to speak. So they, the student... Um, exceeds their academic expectations of that school. Um, it's a good fit for them academically. Um, you know, they are right within the top 50% of that sort of school's academic profile. So it's a, it's a good option for them, meaning they will get in or they should get in. Target school, you know, because schools usually review applications holistically, so they look at everything, target schools would be schools that, you know, they're probably right within their range. Um, it would be a good academic fit for them. They've met the requirements, but they might not be in the sort of top part of that requirement, but they've met their requirements. So that, that to me, is a target school. And a reach school might just be a school that a kid is passionate about. Mm -hmm. Like, it's always been at the top of their list. They've always wanted to, to go to that particular school. Either their family went to that school or they've just known about that school. Um, so a school that sort of might be out of their academic reach, but you just never know. Um, and so I usually try and limit that a little bit to maybe two. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, you know, I encourage, you know, putting reach schools on a student's list because you just never know. How many schools should a student apply to? <laughs> I like to say between six and eight, and that never happens. Mm. Um, you know, I think with the um, creation of the common application and um, as more and more students um, utilize the common application to apply to schools, it becomes easier um, to um, apply to, just to, shoot, to off just shoot off applications. Yeah. Now you pay for those. So, I mean, you know, it does get to be expensive. You know, we were, I was working with a student yesterday and he actually, Common App only allows you to put 20 schools um, on the list. And so any more than 20, you can't do. Um, and so I just laughed because he got to 20 and he's like, oh, I can't add any more. And I was like, you shouldn't <laughs> add any more. I was like, you know, you should take a few off, you know, but. Um, yeah, if you have that many, I mean, yeah. maybe you haven't done enough <laughs> Done enough research, research and, and really kind of narrowing list. down. But yeah. I like to say between six and eight um, is a good number because, you know, if you split that up, you can have, you know, most of your school should be in the target range, maybe two safety schools and then mm -hmm. two reach schools. So. Very good. So by the time students get into 12th grade, mm -hmm. they're, they're filling out applications, mm -hmm. they're uh, taking SATs, ACTs, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Absolutely. So most of them will have had at least one SAT or ACT by the time they leave their junior year. So usually in April or May of their 
um, of their junior year. Some do it a little bit earlier in the junior year, and then they might have one or two more opportunities in their senior year to take either some form of a standardized test. But when they get here um, in the fall, they are ready to start applying. They are ready to start either early applications or at least preparing for their regular applications to come. Mm. Um, so absolutely. So they're, you know, it's more about action in the senior year. So let's talk a little bit more about um, standardized testing, mm -hmm. SAT, ACT, uh, two tests that <laughs> yeah. cause a lot of stress, a Absolutely. lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. They're controversial mm -hmm. in you know, how effective they are right. and mm -hmm. whether they actually measure a student's mm -hmm. intelligence mm -hmm. or simply just how well the student can take the test. Yeah. Um, I think for maybe some of the parents listening and some folks listening, they might not know what are the differences mm -hmm. between the ACT and the SAT and why would a student take one and not the other. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain maybe the, the diff, we'll start there. Can you explain the differences between the two yeah, tests? Yeah, I mean, I think gen the general differences um, are, the, um, are the sections um, of either test. So the SAT tests um, two sections, evidence-based reading and writing, which is a combined section, and then math. And then the ACT is four sections. It's reading, um, writing, uh, math, and science. Um, and so, um, so English, sorry, reading, English, math, and science. And so there are four sections of the ACT. Um, both of them um, have an optional essay that they can add um, that colleges can have access to, and some require it and some don't. Um, so both of those have that as an option. It used to be required, mm -hmm. or it used to be a part of it, kind of built into the test, and now it's kind of separate, and they can add it up there. But um, for the most part, like I said, the differences um, kind of lie in the timing of the test. Um, ACT is the faster-paced test um, than the SAT is. Um, but for the most part, they are standardized tests that test um, sort of uh, a plethora of knowledge. Um, and so, you know, students, in terms of which one they might be better suited for, it varies. Um, so usually what I do is I give them a diagnostic test that is a split SAT-ACT test, and it tells us which one they're leaning more towards. Um, and then generally speaking, we kind of stick with that one, mm -hmm. um, just so they so have the Blue best So with Blue students, mm -hmm. do most of our students lean, do, they, do we have more students doing one than the other? Do we have many students who do both? How does it look for us? Most of our students do the SAT. Okay. Um, um, you know, I don't know that I have the definite answer as to why. I also think um, just the timing of the SAT fits more with how our curriculum is structured and how our teaching is structured. Um, and so I think our students gravitate more towards that than they do for the ACT just because of the fast-paced nature of that test. Um, but most of our students are taking the SAT. Sure. Mm -hmm. So we talked about um, the curriculum of the college counseling program at 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Mm -hmm. I want to switch over and talk a little bit about college counseling from a parent's perspective. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of parents listen to the, the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, they have students enrolled in all of our grades. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you're a parent and your son is getting into high school and it's time to start thinking about college and the college application process, um, what are the kinds of conversations mm -hmm. that parents should be having? Mm -hmm. What should they be talking to their sons about right. at each of these grade mm -hmm. levels? Um, it's the middle of December right now. We're getting into our Christmas break. Mm -hmm. So this is, is a good time for mm -hmm. some of these conversations to happen. If, if your son is in ninth grade, mm -hmm. um, what should you be talking about as it relates to college? Um, I'll preface this answer by saying, um, do not spend the entire break talking about college yeah. and college admissions. <laughs> That's um, good advice. Um, our boys need a break um, and they need a chance to really decompress from the day-to-day -day pressures that they feel um, here um, on campus, you know, in classes, being so scheduled day to day to day, that I do want them to have a chance to decompress and have a break. So don't spend the entire time talking about, okay, Johnny, are you ready to apply to Harvard or to <laughs> yeah. Yale or Prince or wherever? You know, don't do that. But, you know, in the ninth grade level, you know, some of the things that I encourage you to talk about 
um, is having an honest conversation kind of in the broader sense. Um, you know, I have the philosophy that the more we discuss options and possibilities, uh, the more students know what is to come. Um, and so I would say um, for the ninth graders, a good place to start would be what are their passions? You know, what are they interested in? Um, you know, because I think that creates the opportunity for them to come back here and say, you know, Mr. Bonds, I'm really passionate about this. Can I get a club or an organization started? Um, you know, because we don't currently have that here. So really ask them to start thinking about extracurriculars, things that they want to get involved in, that they want to do, and they want to initiate here on campus. You know, if they, if you, you know, read about in the parent newsletter about um, an opportunity for community service, you know, talk to them about whether or not they're interested in doing that, you know, having those types of conversations about what they can do um, to get involved in the things that they are passionate about. So that's what I would say, you know, sort of focus on the 10th grade level is just the extracurriculars, the things they can do outside of so the that'd academics. be 9th and 10th grade. Talk yeah, about I'd say 9th and 10th grade. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I think there's, you know, 10th graders because they've taken the PSAT, um, they just got those scores back, you know, last week that that can be a part of the conversation, sort of, you know, how they felt they did on the assessment, how they felt, you know, the PSAT scores actually reflected what they thought they were going to do, whether or not they took it seriously, mm -hmm. whether or not they tried their hardest. But I think all of that can kind of start um, the ninth and the 10th grade level in terms of the extracurricular. So, um, so yeah, that's what I would encourage about. Sure. Do you find that PSAT scores are usually pretty consistent, like how a student does on the PSAT is a good predictor of how he'll do on the SAT? Yes and no. Um, the reason being is because I think for students taking the PSAT, they realize it is a practice assessment. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they go into the SAT feeling a little bit more like, um, you know, this is the real deal. A higher stakes. A little higher stakes. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, that all of the students take the PSAT um, in an unreal, you know, in a, in a uh, non-serious light. Um, but I do think that I do like to see, and I do tend to see an increase between PSAT scores and actual SAT scores, sure. um, just generally speaking. Um, but yeah, and I think there's a lot of things that kind of play into that. Um, some being that the, for the SAT, a lot of times there's some preparation that takes place um, in terms of test preparation or them even pulling out just a book and doing some practice tests and things like that. But they don't do that for the PSAT. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. Yeah, and they've just been in school longer. They've been in school longer, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah absolutely. Sure. So. so how about 11th grade? Mm -hmm. um, 11th grade students, what kind of conversations should parents be having with their 11th graders? So first and foremost, you need to ask them, have they scheduled their meeting with Ms. Wilkins? <laughs> oh, good, yeah. Um, you know, because you know, I started these meetings in November, and they, you know, and I I give them a couple months. I give them between November and January to schedule these. Um, some that, you know, have already done it. They've gotten some great feedback. They've started doing some specific college research, um, you know, that's tailored to their strengths, their weaknesses, their interests. Um, others are still, you know, haven't had the meeting yet or have the meeting in January. So really just say, okay, so Ms. Wilkins said between November and January you should be meeting with her. Have you scheduled your meeting? Have you done that yet? Um, so that's a good first start. Um, the second thing for the juniors um, is I'm going to be sending out a junior questionnaire to the parents. So use that as a way to have a really targeted conversation with your son. Um, there's about seven or eight questions on that um, that really just ask you to you know, reflect on your son's journey so far, um, both academically and socially, and kind of all of his strengths, his weaknesses, and, and your thoughts on, on your mm -hmm. son in general. So mm -hmm. have, a, have a conversation with them. 
um, utilizing that questionnaire as a resource. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Should they be identifying schools at this point that they that might fit into those safety yeah, target reach? So they definitely can. Um, you know, keep in mind that their GPA um, and their test scores will probably ebb and flow over the next couple of you know um, months as they you know do more and more in the classes. But absolutely, having a conversation about maybe what types of schools they like. You know, do they want to be in an urban environment? Do they want to be in a rural environment? Do they want to be you know in the West Coast, the East Coast? You know, do they even want to be in the United States to go to college? Mm. You know, start having those conversations with them at the eleventh grade sort of year is really, really important. And it's okay if it's not specifics, you know, if it's okay if you're just like, oh, I think I want to go here or I'm not set on it. That's okay. You know, do the research, look at the websites, you know, talk with each other about it. So, so absolutely. And then how about 12th grade? I mean, at this point, <laughs> acceptances are starting to come in. Yeah. So I think just, just encouraging them for, um, by the time they get home, they should have been notified for any early applications, but in terms of regular, just making sure they stay on top of submitting that, um, sort of, uh, you know, application in advance of the deadline, checking in with any future applications that they have, because not everybody is in the same sort of, um, you know, uh, plan or process. Some have even later deadlines. So just really checking in with them, but also starting to have conversations about transitioning. So the application process is one thing, going off to college is mm -hmm. another thing. So really starting to talk about, you know, sort of what that might look like when they are away, you know, at college and sort of what your expectations are for them when they go, um, how they're feeling, because mm -hmm. this is a big change in their lives in terms of leaving high school and going on to college, mm -hmm. that sometimes we're so inundated with the college application process that we forget that this is a big sort of life-changing, sure. um, you know, sort of uh, part of their lives for them. So really having that conversation with them about what this means after. And obviously our students are very well positioned, you know, having been at a boarding school mm -hmm. and lived away from home. But I think one of the big transitions is going from such a small environment here mm -hmm. where you've got small classes, so much attention, you've got an advisor looking out mm -hmm. for you all Absolutely. the time, mm -hmm. um, to a, you know, even a small college mm -hmm. is much bigger, it's than, much bigger than Blue Ridge, Blue Ridge School. Mm -hmm. And that's a big change. Mm -hmm. and, and I, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. That is something mm -hmm. that, that students need to process and think yeah. about and parents can help. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's, there's just so many more distractions that might come up. And I think if, as long as they're having open and honest conversations about how they're feeling about it, I think that that provides more opportunities for families to come together, families to lay down expectations, and just to be able to move through it. How about uh, college visits? When mm -hmm. should families and students start visiting college mm -hmm. campuses? Mm -hmm. I go back and forth um, with an answer to this question, primarily because I think in this day and age with virtual reality and opportunities mm. for online tours, and as they become more and more realistic, you know, I wonder if, you know, maybe waiting until a student's been admitted to actually get on campus and, you know, sort of experience, you know, sort of from the eyes of an accepted student as opposed to a student who's applying might be a better fit. You know, so I go back and forth, you know, for the most part, I say spring break of the junior year is mm -hmm. a great time for students to, to get out. It's, it's a long break. They can go visit different campuses. Um, it's not during a holiday break where the students on the college campuses are gone. They're still mm -hmm. relatively there usually during our spring breaks. Um, so I'd say junior year spring break would be a good chance to get on a college campus. Um, and what are some of the things they should be looking for when a mm -hmm. student and his family go to a college campus? Mm -hmm. What should they be paying attention to? So they should really be paying attention to sort of the energy of the campus itself. 
yourself. So go into, I'd say, places on campus that are student oriented, so vibrant places. So the dining hall and the library and those places that students kind of congregate and just sort of see how students are, are feeling, you know, see the energy of the campus, you know. Um, definitely for students who need academic support, you know, reaching out to their learning support offices on campus, um, seeing if those exist and where they are, um, really asking sort of what supports are in place for students, you know, do they get tutoring, is tutoring available for them on campuses, you know, what happens if, you know, they struggle in a class, who do they seek out, so really making sure that you, you know, uh, touch base with those particular offices. Um, and then, you know, I think generally speaking, looking at the dorms, you know, those yeah. types of things, because I mean, you want to be comfortable and it's okay to say, you know, I'm picking my college because I'm looking, you know, I want to be comfortable right. or, you know, so maybe eat in the dining, maybe hall. Eat in the dining yeah. hall, see what the, cause you're going to, that's you're going to be home yeah. for, for four years. So you want to be really comfortable. So seeing the dorms, seeing the dining hall, you know, um, if you walk through some of the college classrooms and you see like professors offices, look at the doors, you know, spend some time looking to see if they have office hours hmm. and those types of things. Cause I think that tells you a lot about the campus and the community is sort of, you know, how their professors, you know, sort of talk and work with their students. Um, also walk by the classrooms, you know, sort of are they large lecture halls, you know, for the most part, is that all you're seeing as you walk through? Um, or are they really, you know, much smaller classroom settings? Um, so those are some of the things to, to, to keep an eye out. Um, and then generally speaking, definitely you'll spend some time in the admissions office, mm -hmm. just really asking those questions about sort of what your admissions policy, what their admissions policies are, you know, what they're looking for in a student um, and those types of things. Um, you know, student, I, I would also say usually um, walking into one of the offices that's related to like student life um, because that's a big part. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you know, you're in class and we kind of know, you know, your day to day for classes, but outside of classes, yeah, that's a lot, a lot more time, time yeah. you know, and you want to fill it with stuff. So if, um, you know, fraternities um, are important to you, seeing what op opportunities there are for that, student leadership, you know, so really trying to see you know, sort of how a student might occupy their time outside of the day-to-day -day classroom experience. So you can look at all of those different th types of things on the, the college tour, so. Very good, that's great advice. Um, let's change gears a little bit and talk about college admissions as a field. It's mm -hmm. been in the news a lot lately, as, as you know, and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast know over the summer, college admissions was in the head headlines, um, not for particularly good reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, I think everyone listening is aware of the college admissions bribery scandal that happened where you had affluent parents, you know, hiring tutors to cheat and change answers on the SAT, um, lying about their kids' participation in sports, like saying they're on the, yeah. you know, fencing team or sailing team when they weren't, um, even mm -hmm. had celebrities. Taking photos, you know, yeah. Right, celebrities uh, doing this for their kids. Um, what did you think of all that as a college counselor? You know, you're you're in the weeds of this more than most people are. So was this a surprise to you or did you see this I had coming? my popcorn watching it unfold, yeah. <laughs> you know, basically. No, but I, you know, I, part of me was surprised at the level, um, you know, sort of that parents were going um, to ensure, you know, student spots in, in, in particular schools. But I also wasn't surprised primarily because I just know the pressure sort of that exists on making sure that students get into top tier colleges and things like that. So I wasn't surprised at all, um, but I was surprised at the level. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of, yeah. I mean, that takes a lot to have yeah. to, you know, to, to, to Photoshop a photo <laughs> and then, you know, to write a whole essay on something that you have nothing, you know, you, you have no interest in whatsoever. Um, for, for those parents that didn't tell their students, you know, to be able to hide that, you know, right. that takes a lot. Um, do you think it's going to change the landscape of college admissions at all? Do you I think do. we're going to see changes made? I do. I just don't know how necessarily. So I, I do think that 
um, colleges are having conversations about how they can be more um, involved, I guess, in the college process, so to speak. So, you know, how can they get to know students one-on-one and not necessarily just rely on the application as a way to do that, um, but understand that they can't get to know every student. So, you know, right now when a student applies, usually all a college has to go off of is what they put on their application, you know. So I think um, as the more and more that colleges and admissions counselors um, make connections with um, college counselors and they actually are able to have conversations about individual students, I think that that's going to be probably a big factor in how colleges are able to to strengthen the process because I think, um, you know, that's the discrepancy is that, you know, you're able to put whatever you want on an application to so to some extent, you know, that you do sign on a pledge and everything, you do sign an honor pledge. Um, but, you know, there's really no checks and balances. And so I think the more and more, uh, you know, that uh, schools reach out to either their alums for alumni interviews and mm-hmm. those types of things or working with counselors one-on-one and getting in, you know, asking them to share more about their students, really relying on the counselors to be able to share from their perspective. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. The other big uh, college counseling story in the news over the summer and lately has been um, sort of about admissions practices, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. as they relate to race and mm-hmm. ensuring a diverse right. student body. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening know about this lawsuit that um, Asian American plaintiffs brought against Harvard University, mm-hmm. stating that Harvard was engaging in discriminatory admissions practices right. that uh, um, hurt Asian and Asian American applicants. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's similar lawsuits Mm -hmm. pending. Mm -hmm. What's your take on those and sort of this whole question of how can universities ensure Mm -hmm. a diverse student body, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, treat everybody fairly in the admissions process? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, There's an NPR article that I came across um, maybe a couple weeks ago that says, and actually uh, uh, one of our parents shared it with me too, um, that the lawsuit recently claims that SAT and ACT are illegal in, in California admissions. And it basically talks about sort of how the test itself is already discriminatory, and so um, because of the way it's created, mm. um, and so how can you then use that test to, um, I guess, f- uh, fuel your admission cycle while also being mindful of diversity, if that makes any sure. sense. Sure. Um, and so I was really fascinated by that article and just about how um, what came out of it was that it's really tough to create a diverse community without knowing that information, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. It's really tough to say, you know, we pride ourselves on diversity and we pride ourselves on accepting uh, a group of diverse students, um, but you can't utilize, like, test scores to do that right. because the test scores are innately flawed right. to really not benefit uh, diverse students. Um, do you think, I know some schools have been in the news for going um, test optional. <laughs> um, it seems like maybe an increasing number <laughs> of schools are doing that from your perspective, is that just a small movement or do you see that as the future, this idea of test optional, that I, SATs and ACTs won't be mm-hmm. perhaps a required component of a application? So I think it's the future for some. Um, so I think there's a there's a stat that's um, some over 800 of the roughly 3,000 four-year colleges and universities in America make the SAT or ACT optional. So hmm. it's like, you know, 800 of the 3,000. Um, however, there are stipulations to those test optionals uh, applications. So a student has to have at least a 3.3 um, GPA in some of those aspects. So for the other half of students who don't have, you know, a 3.3 or whatever each school has um, stipulated, they have to submit test scores. So do I think our you know, the admissions process is going to be completely test optional in a few years? I don't think so. Um, But I do think it's trending that way, if that makes any sense. So I, you know, I do feel that 
colleges understand that the test itself is flawed mm-hmm. um, and that it's not necessarily um, an indicator of success in college, that what I think they feel and what I've seen is that a student's success in college is about what they bring to the table in terms of what they learn in the classroom and how they apply that in the classroom. And a student's transcript is probably a little bit more um, sort of reflective of sort of what they're going to do right. when they than leave just than just the test. test because there's so much that can go in that goes wrong on test day, so to speak. Sure. Like a student can be stressed out or angry or just not a great test taker. Right. And they go in and they do, you know, horribly but, you know, they've gotten really great grades throughout because they, you know, there's a lot more things that we look at when we're grading and when we're, we're assessing students that the test just does not do. Sure. Um, so let's change gears mm-hmm. again. And we're going to talk about you. Okay. Um, I want to know, how did you get into this mm-hmm. line of work? What made you decide to become a college counselor? Um, tell us about your own college search mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you wound up sitting here. So I fell into college counseling. um, And what I mean by that was before, um, so when I graduated, I graduated from Mary Baldwin University, a small liberal arts um, college in Stanton. Um, And so when I graduated, um, while I was there, I worked as an RA. um, And I knew, I was like, oh, I kind of want to work with students. I liked my RA experience. And so I went to a boarding school, um, Stewart Hall School, where I was their director of residence life right after Um, college. And so while I was there, you know, doing the dorm thing, you know, working with students, um, the then college counselor went on maternity leave Mm -hmm. and I was working on my master's degree and I needed some internship hours. And so the head of school said, Amber, you know, so-and-so is going on maternity leave. Any chance you want to do your internship in the office of college counseling? It was just their way of saying we need somebody to do this while she's (laughs) gone. But I was like, yeah, absolutely. I could, you know, sort of learn a new, um, learn a new field, see what, what this is about, learn a little bit more. Um, and so I did it and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I did it for four or five months, I think, while she was gone. And, you know, just having students come in and talk with me about sort of their process and helping them through their application process and kind of seeing them through the finish line and then getting those positive reactions when they got their acceptances and really learning more about sort of the ins and outs of the college admissions process, it really interested me. Um, And so I switched gears. I said, I no longer want to do residence life. Um, I think I kind of want to learn more about college counseling and I want to kind of, um, you know, sort of see what else is out there and learn a little bit more about this field. So I left Stewart Hall um, and I took a position at another boarding or at another private school where I worked in a college counseling office. Um, I was a registrar and a college counseling um, associate and I got to learn from some really, really good college counselors um, and, and, you know, have a chance to learn from them and to shadow them and to learn from them. And I said, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, and so that's kind of how I fell into it. Um, I worked in college admissions because I said, mm-hmm. well, I kind of want to know how to review applications as right. well. I kind of want to, you know. And that was at Mary Baldwin, It was right? at Mary Baldwin. Yeah. And so I said, I kind of want to see what that's about as well, get both sides, because I feel like in order for me to advise, I need to know what colleges are looking for and kind of know the, um, you know, college perspective. Um, and so that's why I decided to work in college admissions for, for quite a while as well. And then I came here to Blue Ridge. <laughs> yeah, we're very lucky you did. Um, so that's kind of how it happened. Um, how did you um, How did you choose Mary Baldwin when you were a student going through this process yourself? Yeah, so, it, you know, I, I think I remember, um, but I just remember being completely stressed out through the entire process. Um, I went to a really large public high school um, where it was not as much one-on-one within the college advising process. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing by any means, but I just know 
that a lot of it was just, I think I was blessed enough to, to have a mother who was in education mm-hmm. um, and who kind of had a little bit of knowledge and, and um, understanding of the process. But I just remember saying I knew I wanted um, to go to a single sex institution. So I wanted to go to a school that was all women. Why, I don't exactly know, but I knew that's what I wanted. I said, this is what I want. Um, and so that really kind of like um, it sort of eliminated quite a few options, um, you know, and I only looked at um, single sex schools. Um, and so I really did my research based off of that. Um, and so I went on various different college tours. I looked at, like I said, um, schools that were a little bit larger, um, a little bit smaller, but I just, you know, I, I at least had a, a, a clear guide as to where, where I wanted to go and sort of what I was looking for. And so that's kind of how I fell into Mary Baldwin was because I knew I wanted to go to a single sex um, school. And you stayed in Stanton for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. you commuted from yes. Stanton to yes. Blue Ridge. Yes, full hour, <laughs> yeah. hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, but this year you've moved on campus. Mm-hmm. It's great to have you here living at Blue Ridge. Absolutely. Um, how's that been for you? How do you like living on campus? It's been an adjustment. I think it's, you know, um, I lived, um, when I was at Stewart Hall, I lived on dorm. Um, and so I loved it. I loved sort of feeling a little bit more part of the community. I was able to be here in the, you know, being there in the evenings. And so I, I'm excited that I get that. Um, there are opportunities for me to say, you know, um, hey guys, I'm going to have a college, you know, application night. You can come over or you can hang out and, you know, come over and we'll do applications. You'll have some, you know, dinner, those types of things. Mm-hmm. It just provides more opportunities um, than what I, what I had when I lived off campus. Um, so I've enjoyed it. I really have a lot. Um, it just feels like I'm more part of the community. Like I don't just leave <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anymore. I'm here, um, which is nice. So. All right. Zumba is a passion of yours. It is. It is. Um, what is Zumba? So Zumba is like high energy dancing. Um, for exercise, <laughs> so it's not just <laughs> dancing because you like to dance. It's with the with an intention in mind. Um, but so I started Zumba, I guess probably freshman year of college. Um, we had a Zumba club on campus, and I didn't teach then. I just took the class. Um, I was a dancer all my life, so I started dancing when I was really, really, really little, like two years old, um, and danced all throughout high school. Um, but then I didn't for a couple of years, and it's kind of tough to go back into like, you know, um, like actual dancing, so like ballet and everything like that. So I said, how can I, you know, sort of still dance, but not for it not to be all consuming? And I found Zumba. And so go to the Y, you know, maybe three or four times a week and take Zumba classes and just dance. And it's a, you know, it's a stress relief. So I was going to really, say, that's yeah. got to be a great stress relief. So if I'm really yeah. stressed, you get in there and nobody cares if you can actually, you know, dance or keep up with the rhythm. Um, you just <laughs> dance, you know, and you just, not saying that I don't have any rhythm. I've got great rhythm, <laughs> but um, you just get a chance to dance and just to relax a little bit and to jump around. And the music's great. Um, it's just high energy. Um, just a lot of fun. And so there's been some talk. There's a couple of other people on campus that are really big Zumba people. Okay. That kind of want to start up a Zumba in the evenings for faculty. That would be staff. great. So, that sounds fantastic. So we'll see. But yeah. I did. I was able this summer to get my Zumba license. And so now I can teach and not just um, oh, that's great. And not just uh, dance. <laughs> so one of the things um, that students ask me, you know, I'm, obviously I'm not a college counselor, but mm-hmm. if students ask me about college and they say, what should I do to get ready to um go to college or what should I do in the summer? Mm -hmm. I always tell them the same thing. I tell them, get a job. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. I tell them, work somewhere. Mm -hmm. You can learn a lot about people. You can learn a lot about the world just by working. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you about one of your early jobs. Okay. Uh Uh-oh. At a place (laughs) called Taco Bell. Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) 
What did you learn uh, in, in your time as a Taco Bell employee when you were in high school? So my dad, he was like, Amber, it's time for you to get a job. Like it was one of those things where it was sort of like, Amber, you need a job. You know, you, I did athletics, you know, I, I was a cheerleader and I ran track. And so my afternoons were pretty much, um, you know, set. But he was like, on the weekends, you can work. You can get a job. You can make some money. Um, you can get out there and do something. And I took whichever job I could find first. <laughs> and so uh, fast food, and I think it was just, I think I applied to maybe a couple of different ones and Taco Bell called. Um, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I want to work at a place that I probably don't don't eat at a lot. And Taco Bell was that place. <laughs> and so I ended up at Taco Bell. But I will say that was probably the best experience because I learned a lot of people skills. Mm-hmm. Like I am by nature an introvert. But working in fast food and working in the front, like, so I was in the, um, the dining room area, so I took the orders in the front. You meet so many different types of people, and you have to carry on a conversation with them, um, and you have to ask them questions sometimes, um, you know, and they sometimes will ask you questions back. I mean, I met the best people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some people or some guys that would come in to talk about all the time, um, older gentlemen, and that was just their place. And so, I mean, I learned a lot about myself and about life, and they shared a lot of details with me about their lives. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, it was just a really, um, you know, interesting job to have just because the communication skills that I learned and just, you know, the, the time management skills that I had to learn in terms of, you know, making sure I was where I needed to be when I needed to be there and doing what I was needing to do. Um, but it was just great hands-on experience. And yeah, I think learning just, you know, how diverse the world is mm-hmm. and how to talk to people from mm-hmm. all different backgrounds mm-hmm. is one of the most important things Absolutely. that our students can learn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And hard work. I mean, that's yeah. that's a lot of work that goes yeah. into that. And, I you know, I think I learned a lot about myself about sort of, the abilities that I had and, and my abilities to go above and beyond and just to work really, really hard. I mean, there were some long nights. Absolutely. Bell, so, yeah. All right, Amber Wilkins, our college counselor. Thank you so much thank for you. being on the Inside Absolutely. Blue Ridge School podcast. It was a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you learned a little bit more about how the college counseling process works at Blue Ridge. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback on this episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can always email me at pbonds at blueridgeschool.com.